Today's call to worship is found on page 502 in the Hymn Bible, and we're going to be reading Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowded them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the path of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Good morning. Hey, yeah, I'll be reading a couple of scriptures for you. Uh, first one will be Genesis 2. It'll be uh, page 4 of your Pew Bible. It'll be verses 7 and 8 and 19. Then the Lord God formed the, uh, formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put uh, the man whom he had formed. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now I'll be reading uh, Isaiah 43. Uh, verses 1 through 3, be pages 670 of the Pew Bible. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by, on, by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and uh, through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you, will, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave, you, I gave, Egypt, as you, uh, gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and uh, Siba, in exchange for you. Morning. Um, New Testament verse found in your Pew Bible, 11.23. 1 Peter 2.6 Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. It's good to be with you after being away last weekend. It was good to be away last weekend. I uh, have chosen a life, and it's a wonderful life, uh, but it's a life that means weekends are not my own. And every now and then I'm able to choose an escape and uh, make my way elsewhere. And I'm grateful that significant ministry for our youth and for many of you happened last week with Nico Hill. How many of you were here to hear him? Wonderful. I hope you were as blessed as I've heard you were. I have heard Nico before. And... Uh, 
just found him to be a wonderful inspiration. Very different kind of background and story than mine, to be sure, and probably different than most of yours. Any cage fighters in our midst here? All right. Uh, so there you have it. Just reminds me of Napoleon Dynamite, but we'll get to that another time. Last weekend, I was able to go to the Pageant of the Masters. It's an event held in Laguna Beach every year around this time. The idea is that a company of players, musical as well as actors, get together with artists and with stage hands and with people who are skilled and adept at writing storylines and scripts and putting them together into a flow, a series of montages. And artwork after artwork, famous artworks, are presented in sculpture and in canvas. But instead of having painted subjects, they are actors, real human subjects in life-size canvases. It's not only great entertainment, it's rather inspiring. It's amazing to see great art in the first place. And let me just digress for a moment, not truly, it's not off topic, but I, I, I want to talk a minute about this because I'm going to come back to it toward the end of, of our time together this morning. We often think of art and the arts as one of those good luck if you can do it, hope you can make a living kinds of things, right? You know, when we hear somebody is interested in art, we just kind of like, well, I hope they marry well. <laughs> what we mean by that is that they marry somebody not in the arts, somebody who can really, because we're all familiar with the motif of the starving artist. What's amazing is, and, and I, I'm trying to remember who speaks to this, um, his name is not coming to my mind. He's passed away, a famous Christian author and comedian. Um, I'm sorry, it'll, it'll, it'll come to me, but he, he comments on this. He says, how many of you, if I ask you now, how many of you would say I can draw? There are like three or four of you. No. 12. Okay, what's interesting, that's a pretty good number in this group. What's interesting is that if I'd asked you if you were all kindergartners and I'd asked you the same question, all of you would have raised your hands. How many of you can draw? I can draw! I can draw! Oh, oh pick me! I can draw! How many of you can sing a song beautifully? Raise your hands. We've got like three people who think they can sing a song beautifully. Professionally trained, they're on the circuit. If I'd asked you that question when you were in kindergarten, all of you would have raised your hands. I can sing. Pick me. Is my shirt long enough to cover my belly? <laughs> my wife's not here to tell me that later that I was, you know, inadvertently showing you all something. So... Oh good, we're laughing already this morning. That is great. Let's just keep this going. We're in good shape. I hope you're not losing my point. My point is, is that at one time or another in your life, you all could participate in music. You could all participate in dance. I, you know, I can't dance. I'm with Garrison Keillor. 
You know, he says of Lutherans, our forefathers wouldn't let us dance because they were afraid it would arouse our carnal passions. Little did they know that they were up, dressed, and waiting for the bus. All not dancing did was make us dangerously uncoordinated. And that is a quote. And that is so true of Adventists too, right? When you were in kindergarten, you could dance. Have you ever seen like a six-year-old girl at potluck over there? Take a minute and watch her. She's just like, right? I know, pretty good, huh? No worries there. We could all dance. We could all sing. We could all draw. We could all participate in life as art and art as life. And art is so vital. Because, and I'm going to spend more time with this in a minute, because we have a creator who made an artful world. And he made us in his image. And most of us, not all, most of us participate in the procreative aspects of creation. We make some attempt to replicate ourselves or multiple versions of ourselves. But we stop when it comes to the creative aspects of imitating the creator. We stop when it comes to appreciating the beauty of divine art and human art. And entering that world of song and that world of dance and that world of drawing or figuring. The world of creativity, prose, poetry. We cease entering that world as impractical as adults. As somehow superfluous or for the four or five people who can truly master it and sing a glorious song on tune, or who can readily render a face with a pencil, or whose hands have proven themselves adept at making a living in sculpture or architecture. We relegate all the aesthetics to those folks and live somewhere else. And today I'm hoping that we can all find our place in the picture. You see, when you see these montages, when you see something beautiful that's been created by a great artist, something meaningful, something political, something that speaks to a generation or an era or speaks of uh, the gods in the classic Greek or Roman senses of the pantheon of gods, the mythologies that come to us through those Western sieve if you will. When you see classic pictures or when you see uh, even more romantic images, contemporary, photographic or stylized, distorted images even of classic images and the play on those lines, you begin to see something really interesting, something challenging to the mind, something beautiful, something engaging. And just to use this as illustration, carrying from the Laguna Beach in the pageant of the masters, each actor had his place dressed and fit for his montage or her montage, whether in canvas or in sculpture. 
Our text in Genesis, I just briefly chose a smattering of texts, but the text in Genesis speaks to God forming humankind, mankind, man specifically, from the dust of the ground and breathing into him the breath of life and watching him become a living being or a living soul. I want to take you to the moment of formation because generally speaking, what we celebrate in creation is the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was made was made by Him, through Him, etc. John chapter 1. We celebrate that in the six days of creation, God spoke, and it was, and He declared it good. This is a God who speaks reality into existence whose word creates order, whose very articulation gives generativity and substance. Right? But when it comes to the creation of man, he didn't speak. It says he knelt in the ground and formed us from dust. He played sculptor. I don't know if God literally has hands like mine. I know that I'm said to be made in his image, but whatever God really looks like, he sculpted humankind, mankind, man. Each detail you can see him laboring over. For dust you are and unto dust you will return, the scriptures say. But from dust he forms us. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but we also read a verse that said that he did the same with the beasts of the field. Did you catch that? This is one of the advent, little aside again, slightly off point, but something worth noting. This is one of the evidences against the notion of soul or eternal soul as separate somehow from the body in creation. You see, if we have a soul, and a horse has a soul, and a cow has a soul, what is a soul? And how are human souls differentiated from anything else? We don't have souls, we are souls. We're living beings, created in the image of God, sculpted, breathed to life with the Spirit of God, energized, and we have our lives. And as the prophet said, as Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. Sculpted to life. Now there's art. There's no subject of art, I think, more prolific than the human body. It always drives me crazy when Christians think that that's somehow inappropriate. Have you ever seen anybody do that? Oh, wow, that's, that's risque. I don't know. Classic, you know, people who buy sculptures and then clothe them. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> Never quite figured that out. God sculpted it. He breathed into it the breath of life. And he declared it good. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. Even with all of the distortions of sin and time and aging. Yeah even with all of that. 
we are his image. There's another corollary to this that's so beautiful. Collectively, we're his image, his body, the bride of Christ, for which he's given himself. There's several key story metaphors in scripture that pull all this together and just help us to see how wonderful it's meant to be. Now, interestingly, too, in all of this stuff in Genesis, we have a particular job. And the job is to create beauty and to derive life from it. I don't know if you've caught that before. But we're to create beauty before the fall, intending to the garden. We were to make it a home. The garden was to be our home, and we were to tend it and care for it and cultivate it in this idyllic state. And then as we were cast out of the garden, guarded by flaming uh, cherubim with flaming sword, told never to go back, we entered a part of the, the planet, a part of the earth that was not a garden. And the curse meant that we were going to have to turn it into one by the sweat of our brow and by the labor of our hands. The curse meant that having been thrown out of the garden, our task in making and maintaining one would be that much more difficult. That there would be obstacles, thorns and thistles and briars and so forth. But our job before and after the fall was to create beauty and make a life from it. To eat and harvest and enjoy the benefits of our labors. You have a place in a picture. And it involves exploring what it means to you to be God's child created in his image. And it involves asking yourself what it means when that image gets restored through the person of Jesus Christ. And it means engaging the world in creating beauty and drawing life from it, in acting like the Creator who made you in His image. The second analogy from Scripture this morning comes from that text in Peter. Why don't we turn there? 1 Peter 2. Verse 4 and, and onward. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So Paul is making this beautiful case. He's making this beautiful case. And he's using an architectural example. The building must be laid with good foundations. And the most important part of a good foundation is the cornerstone. Jesus was the cornerstone that wasn't recognized for what he was. That's why he uses the rejection phrase that he uses. But he's the perfect cornerstone for the perfect building. The perfect edifice that God might be glorified, edified. When we connect this with the idea that we are God's chosen people, when we connect this idea with the idea that if we believe in this Christ, we have a connection to him and to one another in redemption. If we connect this to the idea that we are the body of Christ and he is the head, then the architecture and the sculpting becomes all the more meaningful. Because as children of God, we want to emulate God. And the life that we build, the choices that we make, the relationships that we forge need to mirror the kind of beauty that we're talking about. You know, there are lots of points of symmetry in, in Scripture, a lot of points of beauty. One of the things that people have decided makes a human face beautiful is symmetry. Are you familiar with this idea? I mean, have you ever, maybe your brain can do this. I know mine's really good at it. I can actually, in my head, mind's eye, draw a line down your face and replicate half of the face the other way in my mind's eye. I can see what the two sides of you look like. Have you seen that done in pictures? It's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you got the, sometimes you meet somebody who actually looks pretty much the same or, and they're highly symmetrical or one half of them is really good looking and the other half of them is like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I'm really attracted to this face, but this one I could never live with. And it's the same face, just two halves of the same face, right? Symmetry is beauty. And so in England they had a contest to see who the most beautiful woman in the world was. They, they, the person had to wear no makeup, no anything. It was strictly, strictly going to be based on symmetry. And they chose a young woman precisely for that. She had absolutely symmetrical features. There's a symmetry in scripture if we pay attention in the created order as well. We find the initial symmetry to be in the person of God himself, who presents himself as a social reality, Father, Son, Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, all present in creation, as we know. In Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep. In Genesis 1, God speaks in it's so. In John 1, we read that all things were made were made through Jesus. They're all present in creation. They're all present in redemption, and they're all present in consummation. But this Spirit then says in Genesis, let us make man 
in our image, after our likeness. And the symmetry is continued because male and female, he created them. Together, they make the image of God. Not one or the other, but together. And the mystery that is God, who is one, is the mystery of the human family. For from man, woman is taken, and from woman comes man. The mystery that is the divine reality is that the two shall become one flesh, and a new family shall be born. There's symmetry all through Scripture in this. In John, I think it's 17, but 14, 15, 16, 17, even 13, all of these passages, Jesus has the most remarkable things to say about his relationship with the Father and of the Spirit. And the most remarkable things to say about what he desires our relationship to be with him. He longs that we might be one, his body, as he is one. He longs that the unity that belongs to this social reality we call God, this triune God, be our experience as a people, not just as a couple or a family, but as a people. He longs that we might be one with him as he is one with the Father, because he came to be in the form that he created, like us, one of us. Scripture's full of these beauties. And beauty is truth. It's a specific kind of truth. So as obscure as this sermon is, all right, as kind of, whoa, where did he get that? What I want you to walk away with today is really simple. God is calling you to wake up, to realize your beauty, to understand your value to Him. To forget the self-consciousness that comes with sin and negativity and the talk that says, I can't do it. God is inviting you to begin a dance that may begin by yourself in your own room with the door locked. I don't know. But He's inviting you to begin a dance. He's inviting you to sing a song. I would love to hear you do that even off key every Sabbath morning. Amen. How are you ever going to learn a hymn you don't know if you don't sing it even off key? You can do this. God made you to sing. Well, 85% of you, anyway. Okay. And the other 15 of you sing loud as you can anyway. We're going to love it. We're going to love it. I used to sit next to Mrs. Barber in church. Not this barber, but another barber. When I was a little boy, she was 103 years old. No. Diana wants all of you to know that that's not her. In case you had any questions. No. 103 years old. And I used to sit there and calculate what Indian penny, head penny, was in, in circulation when she was born. 
okay, I was a colorful child, what can I say? She would sing, and I would hold the hymnal next to her, and it sounded terrible. But it was wonderful to hear a 103-year-old woman lift her voice to the Lord. And it's wonderful if you'll engage that. You've been called to dance, to sing, to make something beautiful, to draw. You can do that too. It doesn't have to look like everybody else's piece. All of you are unique, a special creation. And only you can bring the picture or the dance or the song that you're going to bring to this body of Christ. And together we make a picture. And do you know what that picture is? It's a picture of the Savior who says that we're his body, the church. And when we sing and when we dance and when we draw, when we enter a world of beauty and creativity, when we step forward in faith and learn to express, when we forget ourselves, in other words, when we climb out of the bushes and quit making fig leaf coverings, that can be beautiful too, but it's an interesting kind of beauty, isn't it? when we forget the self-consciousness and step into the presence of God. The invitation is to fulfill His image in a unique and powerful way. To find our places in the picture. O oh Lord, bless this a beautiful people. Make us your body the body formed to be the image of Christ and help us each to find our place in your picture. Amen. Amen.